All right. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to Convo this morning. How are you guys doing? Good, good. All right, so I'm one of the organizers of GSWA. There's uh, actually five of us, so Lania Noel, um, Mimi Salvador, Riley Mills, Claire Frederick, um, and myself all helped to organize GSWA. Um, we're a club for women and gender non-binary folks that come together um, as a community to uh, organize events either surrounding social justice or just to build community and friendship. Um, every year we tend to organize three events, so that's Healthy Bodies Week, Sexual Violence Awareness Week, which we already had in the fall, and then um, Chocolate House. So this coming week, starting Saturday, is Healthy Bodies Week. And um, so the intent for this year's Healthy Bodies Week is to celebrate our own bodies and to consider how definitions of a healthy bodies interact with that of the society's understanding of healthy bodies um, and, and expand our own thinking on the topic of healthy bodies and what that means. Uh, bodies encompass our physical self, our mental health, our emotional health, and much more. Listed on the screen are a number of events that will be coming up next week, so we encourage you to come out um, to different events that either interest you, uh, likely impact you, or something you'd like to learn more about or participate in. Um, yeah. Uh, so for today's chapel, we want to look at beauty and culture and how those things interact and how society constructs uh, beauty standards and how we either confirm to the, or uh, are defined by those or define them ourselves. Um, I also want to note, in light of recent events taking place on the executive level, in particular the executive ordered travel ban, I'd like to acknowledge that our conversations surrounding bodies, beauties, culture are impacted uh, by national policy. Xenophobia prompts assumptions about healthy bodies, the value of individuals, one's liberty to move freely, and one's ability to make choices. In order to be mindful of how different social structures impact individuals, one's body, one's mind, one's health, and one's being, please consider how administrative choices affect different bodies, people physically, mentally, and emotionally, and the surrounding assumptions that we make. And with that being said, we're going to start off with Mimi, who's going to begin with uh, talking about bodies, culture, and beauty. Greetings. My name is Mimi Salvador and I come from the Kichwa Nation and today I'll share how does your culture context frame beauty. The image of indigenous women has radically shifted over the last five centuries from matrix to colonial stereotypes of exoticized beauty seen as an object of conquest. Indigenous women represent the land and there is where beauty lies for us. In our cultural context, a woman is rooted in her identity is seen as powerful. In a decolonized cultural context, we frame beauty in the strength of a woman, in the amount of produce you can carry in your back, and how well you maintain your chakra, the spaces that will feed our children. We see beauty in the songs that get passed on to generations, and the subsequent stomping of bodies dancing to the beat of a millionaire resistance. In my context, we see beauty in your name and what you stand for, the kindness and the courage to protect your family. If you've ever had the chance to meet a Kichwa community, you will know that women do everything it takes to carry a home. 
Sometimes it means adding a straw to the hat so that the negligence of politicians won't show, preventing these structures from falling. The beauty of our woman in my eyes is measured in the front lines, in the beauty of the words used and the fierce looks of mothers that carry the mothers having their eyes while demanding justice. We see beauty in the jewelry we carry and the traditional attire, in the mix of seats and fabric to the composition of symbols in the traditional attire and patterns, carefully crafted in prayer. In beauty contexts like the Nusta, you are required to know at least an introduction in your language and explain the main components of your cultural identity. But beauty goes far beyond the physical. We see beauty in the medicine woman and the midwives, those who receive and allow life to come to this world and will heal the wounds of those who came before us. It is in the spiritual realm of you as a person, the wisdom in the blood and the ability to carry out a resistance. And then the second question that we were given is, how does the way you build yourself challenge cultural assumptions surrounding beauty? I see beauty in my identity. Today, more than ever, we face the dangers of assimilation, and it is a daily battle between holding to an identity globalization seems to hate and remaining true to my roots. I've chosen to remain me, with traditional attire, jewelry, and natural hair color. I choose to learn my language and know my songs, the stories, and the values that my community carries. My self-image is based on how I resemble the way my ancestors look. So when I see myself in the mirror, I know that I come from a line of people who stood firmly against colonial rule, and that gives me strength. It wasn't easy while growing up because we always seem to be dismissed as in fear for our physical appearance. But standing by my mother's side while she survived domestic abuse gave me a whole different insight into what beauty is, in its brokenness and the shields we create. I grew up seeing relatives shrinking into alcoholism and saw the many barriers that we have to overcome to have the same position someone will have if not indigenous. So for me, beauty is not outside, but in the way we pray, act, and treat others, and the courage it takes to occupy front lines and the willingness to hear those around us. Despite the poor picture of indigenous women on media, for me, our most beautiful contribution is to stand up for our people, for the love we have for this earth, our mother, and our relatives. And I would like to conclude by sharing a poem. And I know if you guys are following up what's going up in North Dakota, but the pipeline seems to be approved shortly. And yeah, well, I hope you enjoy my poem. When I was asked, what is beauty? It is an indigenous woman reading Marx, analyzing the gentrification of the favelas and the confinement of our struggle. It is the sounds of decolonization flipping pages. It is a red warrior picking from the Black Panther's theoretical arsenal, a strong woman educated in resistance. It is a critical analysis framed to overthrow your government in a Zapatista camp. It lies within the political prisoners that the system tries to get rid of, the voices behind bars and the low income of the campesino. I hope you understand that beauty for me is in my grandmother's hand, filled with the remain of some blisters and displacement. It lies within the many generations who witness murder on a daily basis because in order to know what beauty is, you'll have to know what it's not. If red, you forcefully became homeless in your own land and has carried 524 years of colonialism on your shoulders. The vision, the medicines, the prophecies carry the fire that never stopped burning despite the colonial, the genocidal acts, the terrorist attacks, and the pipeline that is being built in your backyard. Wade that tried to tie us down, dropping rocks to become mountains. We are the earth, the land, and that is beauty. So if you ask me, beauty is the people who understand thirst and yet 
defend the water for those who build the scarcity. So what does beauty encapsulate? I must state that as much as I would like to remain peaceful, there is beauty in the flames of a sister that must fall. And sometimes it's hard to go home when home is made of broken bones and you see alcoholism swallowing your people alive, another black guy telling a woman's history, another child given to the foster care and the struggle to pray in your own language remains. Working mothers that won't let their hats fall down from neglect and the piercing cry of a creature grandmother by the riverbank. Beauty is how she lives by the seasons and like mangroves endure the hurricanes, shielding winds in all that shouts to exterminate. Beauty is maneuvering hard to stay safe in our own communities, recognizing that patriarchy extends to our men, and sometimes value doesn't extend to your immediate circles. Keeping accountable, remind them that this is a woman's nation. In the quest of rediscovering our history, beauty is to occupy the front line while having suicidal tendencies. Beauty is to occupy the front lines while being a single mother. Beauty is to occupy the front line while living below the poverty levels. Beauty is to occupy the front line while mourning a lover. Beauty is boys of the woman who holds the megaphone in the street, beauty on her hands, an unbreakable spirit that has pledged alliance to her people, even when they try to steal the land away from her, but realize she is the land herself. That the beauty she carries lies within the scars of inhumane experiences and harm so deep sometimes you think you'll split your body in half. Beauty is owning your right to dream and not telling and not letting anyone take it away from you. Beauty is on not the smell of your perfume, but the essence of your resistance, how you fight your wars, and sometimes even make social media your battleground. But when you are cold, I see you holding a sign in the middle of winter like if survival was tattooed in your forehead. I see beauty across this land, for her spirit has not died, but they live. They live inside the people you consider extinct. So if you ask me what beauty is, beauty is to relearn the language while fighting the colonial regime. Languages that were burned at the stake so defiant they make your tongue heard. So if you ask me what beauty is, beauty is to recognize that there is not an inch of this earth that has not seen the blood pouring from indigenous women who rise. Braided hair or the wind, or hair to the wind, beauty is the red skin on top of the graffiti you painted last week. Rock solid melanin, a spirit of ancestors running through these veins, territories colonized but never conquered. For I see beauty in the color of pride. Sin chisama is runakuna, I could feel the flames on her eyes. They say there is no power in this planet that will keep us down. Sin chi runa mikanchi, the beauty is in your heart. You are the earth gorilla. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jose Chiquito, and um, <clears throat> I will be sharing my experience as a male, as a Mexican growing up here in Goshen, but of course in my household where we only spoke Spanish, and um, my parents made sure I didn't forget where I came from. So I'll, I'll share one sort of aspect of my life growing up um, with my family. Um, Every night, um, my mom would get her chance to watch TV after taking care of us and um, doing everything around the house. She, was a, she is a stay-at-home stay mom. So uh, around 8 o'clock, it was her time to watch TV. So she took the control and she said, now oh, it's my turn. Um, so what she would watch would be telenovelas or Mexican soap operas, um, which I actually learned a lot from them. And if you're Mexican or if you're Latino, you probably know what that is like, um, having to sit there if you, if, 
especially if you only have one TV. You have to sit there and watch the telenovela. Um, sometimes I liked it. <laughs> so what these are is basically they, in a way, do portray what life in Mexico is. They give me an idea of who, what it meant to be Mexican, um, going to school with um, Americans and, and, be here, and growing up here in the United States. Um, a lot of them did portray lots of stereotypes. Um, some of them my parents confirmed. Some of them they said, eh, that doesn't really happen. Um, but to better understand telenovelas, here's the basic plot line. It's so number one. It starts off with a poor but very attractive young woman. She meets a wealthy guy that's around her age. Then they fall in love. But they can't because it, she's poor and he's rich. It doesn't mix in Mexican society. So here's the plot twist. They're related. Plot twist number two. Just kidding. And, <laughs> um, and in the end, it all gets resolved and they get married. So there it is. Simple, right? But what I didn't notice until now is that the majority of protagonists did not resemble the typical Mexican. Uh, the poor young woman uh, tended to be portrayed as an indigenous um, woman, um, very humble, and um, her family could work in a, in a hacienda for the richer family. Um, and, you know, just very, what did, what did I associate beauty with? Um, was it the indigenous person being poor in Mexico? And um, was the rich executive a, a white Spanish-speaking American? I didn't really understand that. I'd never, I'd never seen a white person speak Spanish that well. Um, so, but don't get me wrong. Mexicans come in all shades, in all heights, in all weights. Um, but one thing I did learn from these was that beauty really does come inside and that love transcends everything. As cheesy as that sounds, I learned that from a very young age. Um, but furthermore, I like to look at um, the beauty that um, was sort of embodied by my parents. Um, they got here to the United States at a very young age. Um, they were probably um, in their 20s, early 20s, um, so college-aged, and they had me and my little sister. I was about three years old. My mom lost her mom when they had only been here for three months. Try to imagine, say, being in your senior year of college and then your mom died. My mom went through that, and she couldn't go back. They were making life here, and they had children to look after, to, to look after. So uh, throughout my childhood, my mom, she stayed home, took care of us, did everything she could, and also had to um, contend with the pressure of being a stay-at-home mom, facing my dad's machismo. Um, but my dad also suffered in other ways. He also endured the pains of being here and being away from family, of having to work countless hours from sun, from sun up to sundown, basically. So my mom, basically a single mom in a way, she took care of us and um, she had this pain of not being able to be with her loved ones, of having lost her mother, who she had a very strong connection. So I see the beauty in, in the immigrants and the immigrants being in the United States having to withstand all the pain and to sacrifice so much in order for the better of their own, to give 
my people an opportunity to be someone in this country. So whether it's transcending social economic classes or whether it's traveling to the other side for a better life, I think what I really want to emphasize is the beauty in, in the cultures where we come from. There's beauty in that. Uh, beauty is inside, despite what the telenovelas told me, whether it was a tall, handsome man or a very attractive woman um, who came from poor background. The telenovelas told me that love comes in many ways and that beauty comes in many ways. Thank you. My name is Leah Bird, and I'm talking from the viewpoint of a black American. For those of you who know me, you know that I'm multiracial. So basically that means I'm a mix of a whole bunch of different cultures, more than I actually know. Um, three for sure are Cherokee Native American, African American, and white. And up until August 15th, 2015, so basically my first day on Goshen College campus, I didn't know what it meant to be two out of those three because of where I grew up. I was only compared to one group. In Rensselaer, Indiana, the town that I lived in, um, of about 6,000 people, no one looked like me, except for the few adopted children and the college athletes that never really left campus. But even then, they were all guys, so there wasn't much representation for me. I didn't want to look the way I did because I stuck out a lot. I wanted to look like basically everyone else. Um, I wanted to have lighter skin, blonder hair, bluer eyes, less curves, and more muscle. I found myself thinking that I wasn't good enough for any of the boys there, that none of them could possibly like me. The girls probably didn't want to be my friend because I stuck out in the pictures. And I also found myself surrounded by people who prodded at me like a zoo animal, asking, is that your real hair? Which it is, I get it from my mom. And are you sure you're really black? Because you act white. But in that environment, who could really blame me? I was the black sheep of my family, literally. I have a white mom, white brother and sister, and I'm the middle child. I was the black sheep of my friends and always biting my tongue when they'd say something that offended me or made me self-conscious. I constantly critiqued myself trying to figure out how to fit in better, only to disappoint myself as I grew older and developed into my body even more. Then I entered college, a place where there were more people who looked like me, but I still wasn't very happy with myself and my body. So being thrown into this new culture with people, they were telling me to stop using your blue goop gel and only use Cantu and Shea Moisture for your curls. Use coconut oil for everything. You can't have ashy ankles and elbows. Watch what you wear because your butt might stick out just a little too much for campus to handle. With all of this new info being thrown at me, I kind of went crazy. How was I supposed to collaborate my home life with this new one and make it work so that when I walked into class, I didn't look like a wreck after getting ready in the morning? I thought it'd be easier to try and look like a regular black girl, but I was wrong. It was just as much work because of all the responsibilities that, that, that held. The media and other outlets do a great job at making black women exotic. And not that I think that it's completely a bad thing to have big lips, wide hips, just the right amount in the front and in the back, a non-existent waist, long loose curls, and fit to perfection with flawless skin that shines naturally. However, I do not fit into a lot of those categories. I look at my friends and see their dark skin that appears flawless, like it's as smooth as the cocoa butter they apply. And I want to be as dark as they are. 
but then I look in the other direction and I hear guys say that they want to be with girls who look nothing like me because I'm just pretty for a black girl, but not good enough for wifey material, just their fantasies. If I had a dime for every time I've heard that or, oh, you're mixed, that makes much more sense. You're way too pretty to just be black. So basically my whole life, I've been going back and forth between wanting to look more white and wanting to look more black and never truly appreciating the fact that I am a mixture of so much beauty. In the mix of my cultures, I've learned the most important thing about beauty. As Jose said, it's pretty cheesy, but it's true. It really isn't about what my body looks like, but what my heart looks like. My roommate Amy says I'm strong, sometimes too strong. I know that I'm fierce and I don't play around. I'm independent, a good friend, a caring daughter, and a passionate advocate for all things. I'm a dancer and a treasure jewel. Recently, I've been reflecting on these things. I've been learning to love myself better, and it's because I've realized that I will never be one more than the other. I am Aaliyah, a collection of secrets, a vessel of light. I have tiger stripes in places I keep hidden, and I am, as my good friend Ah Chang says, thicket. <laughs> and I'm learning to be okay with that. Once you find the truth of your heart, your body reflects all of it. I eat good food, I laugh, I cherish my life, and my body is just a reflection of all the things I've gone through. Looking back, it's kind of funny how far I've come in loving myself. I think the most important lesson through it all is that I'm not done loving who I am. I know I'm a work of art always under construction, as my friend Etienne says. I don't think anyone truly looks in the mirror and says, I love every single part of me, at least not yet, not at our age, because we're still growing and still becoming who we're meant to be. I'm understanding who I am, and I will continue to learn new ways to love the woman I'm becoming, flaws and all. I want to be healthy, and I know that in, at the end of the day, the only thing I need to make sure of is that this temple I occupy is used in taking the way in which God points me. Doing that changes where I look to find approval as well. It isn't about what my white friends or my black friends think. It isn't about what my mom says when she FaceTimes me and says, Aaliyah, you're withering away. It's about what my God says when he sees me. And there is where I find love, enough for myself. And I hope that everyone, not just those who look like me, but everyone can one day come to realize this as well. Thank you. Hello. Uh, my name is Sarah, in case you don't know. Um, I want to talk about beauty in Islam from a covered Muslim women perspective. So beauty is a really big concept what you consider pretty is maybe meh to me. What, or what I think is beautiful, you may think it's average. So also, we should agree that guys and girls have way different scales of beauty from each other. Like guys don't have scale at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> if a guy tells me that my dress is beautiful, I would be like, oh yeah, whatever. But if a girl tell me that my dress is beautiful, I'd be like, yeah, that my dress is beautiful. <laughs> anyway, going back to the main topic, uh, my head cover doesn't limit my beauty. I think, it doesn't I think it does actually give me a reason to pursue my beauty for myself, not for others. I want, look, I want to look nice because I love myself. Now, we all like to show off. Peer pressure is a real thing. But for me, as a covered woman, I don't really have it, at least in the US, because no one knows how I should wear the head cover anyway. But 
but I have less pressure than everyone else because it's obvious that I wear what I'm wearing for myself, not trying to convince you anything. If, others, if other people are having a power over you, how you should look, that's really scary and unhealthy. I remember telling my friend the other day that I'm really glad that I'm not a guy because I probably would use my masculinity in a bad way. However, I believe that beauty is power too. Great one. I really appreciate being covered so I can control this, so I can control this power. We humans become really crazy when we, are, when we have power, so rules to control this power is really helpful. Needed to point out that I'm not covering because guys are animal and can't control themselves. I'm covering because I want to control my own power over you. I would feel so objectified if you like my outside without considering my inside. I'm not covering my beauty, I'm covering the attractive parts of my body so you would be attracted to my inside. Someone said, pretty is in the eyes of the beholders, beauty is in the soul. You can't see it, but you know when you feel it. Here, I am myself. You are looking at my soul more than you are looking at my eyes color. I know I'm loved because you like who I am, not because how I dress. Don't call me hot, don't call me sexy, call me beautiful, I would appreciate it more. Hijab, my headscarf, is a symbol of modesty and privacy. It doesn't mean that I'm ugly. If someone's not recognizing the, be the beauty in me because of my head cover, they got a problem. Thank you. So I come to the subject of beauty from a white feminist perspective within the academic US. Um, my understanding of beauty, so the cultural construct of beauty and gender go hand in hand for me. One can only be defined as beautiful if they succeed in meeting beauty standards from our Eurocentric bi-gender culture in the US. Unfortunately, this beauty standard uh, extends to both the internal and external realms of our being as women are expected to and, be, and are praised for being feminine, whereas men are expected to and praised for being masculine. This extends to how we dress, to how we speak and sit and stand and move, and so forth. While men are also expected to look a certain way, they are often measured in the absence of certain feminine qualities and uh, Whereas women, women's beauty is validated if they work within and exhibit such markers of femininity. For instance, consider how men and women dress in a formal business attire. Um, so men would wear a suit and women, depending on what they wear, would be seen as beautiful, not, and be able to meet social norms depending on what they choose to wear. So the choices greater vary and the policing also expands with the greater choices. Um, whereas, uh, whereas women are expected to portray beauty by meeting social expectations for what it means to be feminine, uh, so too are men expected to meet masculine standards. Uh, recognize that I've only talked about women and men from a bi-gender perspective, and that have, I haven't even touched how gender non-binary folks or people who 
dress outside of the traditional masculine and feminine norms are treated. Outside of there, outside of the masculine feminine binary, um, we fit, uh, we fit in, sorry, uh, folks who dress more androgynously or present themselves outside of this binary, both in terms of internal and external factors, are forced to rely on other social markers to seek praise and approval. So looking at socioeconomic status, race, lookism, how we present ourselves, and so forth. This golden parachute, sh parachute shrinks if we aren't able to meet certain gendered expectations or cultural assumptions surrounding these different factors. Looking at Patricia Hill Collins and other critical race theorists, I think a lot about how um, gender interacts with uh, race and social class and um, how we're, white individuals are praised whereas other people of color are not praised for meeting certain standards. So because um, gender standards are set within a Eurocentric perspective, we have other um, assumptions about uh, for instance, black women, as Patricia Collin talks about, the image of an angry black woman or um, poor black men failing to be uh, meet masculine standards and therefore are punished through incarceration and other means. So what it means to be a feminine man, whether that's being trendy if you're a white man wearing a pink shirt or policed if you're a black man wearing a pink shirt and unable to meet such norms. Recognize these gender norms um, are presented in a Euro-American context and therefore uh, reflective of such. Um, so then how we look at internal and external beauty um, is defined, uh, how we look at internal and external beauty is defined uh, by um, certain, uh, how society is constructed. Okay, so thanks for being present and listening to our stories about gender. Um, next week we have all these events. Uh, we'd love you to come out. However, um, recognize we're trying to be inclusive and more intersectional, but walking the line of trying not to be tokenizing and recognizing that we will fail because we are part of a white supremacist culture. Um, and so we're socialized within that. So um, if you have suggestions, questions, concerns, please come talk to me or any of the other GSWAL leaders, and we hope to do a better job in the future um, and continue to grow and learn. Um, uh, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for coming today, and if you have further questions, talk to me. Thanks. <laughs>